You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16. Kind of an unusual message for a big day, I think, but uh, this is our 40th anniversary, and I want to kind of give our heart why we are here, why we do what we do, uh, why we have all these ministries, all these missionaries, why our people go out and knock on doors to tell people about Jesus Christ. In other words, we're going to be going over what the main thing is. I mean, churches do a lot of things. Jesus did a lot of things. He taught a lot of great things, but he didn't come to teach. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus did a lot of miracles, but he didn't come to do miracles. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. A lot of wonderful things about our Savior, but had he not gone to the cross of Calvary and died, we'd still all be on our way to hell. Back in 1971, I was just a lost person. My wife and I had been married about two years. I'd been a rock and roll disc jockey up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then I'd gone into country western music about the time that country western was changing. What they did was they started taking the old rock songs and put a steel guitar and a harmonica in them and called it country. And so that was my introduction to country music. But while I was working at that radio station, I had another announcer ask me if I'd like to play softball with the church team. Now, I'm a sports nut. I don't look like it. Now I look like the ball more than... uh, (laughs) anything else, but if you could throw it, kick it, hit it, or whatever, I like doing it. And the announcer asked me if I'd play softball with this church team, and I jumped at it. I said, sure, I'll play. And then he said, well, there's one catch. You have to go to church once a week in order to play. Well, I wasn't brought up in church. My parents had nothing to do with God. My wife was not brought up in church either, although they had a little more respect for God than what my family did, but both of us were as lost as could be. We decided it couldn't hurt us to go to church once a week. And so for the first time in my life, I found out I was a sinner before God. I used to think that God would take all my good works, put them on one side of a great big scale in heaven. All my bad works, he'd put them on the other side of the scale. I don't know where I got that. I made that up in my own mind. But I thought I was such a good guy that the good would outweigh the bad and God would let me into heaven. But that preacher who preached the book let me know that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That there is none righteous, no, not one. That there is no difference, all of sin, to come short of the glory of God. He made it plain. I found out I wasn't going to heaven, but I was going to hell. For the wages of sin is death, the scripture says. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It was also the first time in my life at 21 years of age that I found out who Jesus was. I had no idea that he was the son of God. Now listen, we had enough Catholics living around us that if he'd have shown me a crucifix, I would have identified the person on the cross as Jesus. But I did not know that he was the son of God. I did not know that when he died on the cross, he was dying to pay my sin debt. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I also found out for the first time that not only did he die for my sins on the cross, but three days later he rose from the dead. If you would have asked me what Easter was about, I would have said the Easter bunny, which is a really dumb story about a rabbit laying colored eggs and hiding them from children. That didn't make a bit of sense to me at all. So needless to say, I did not believe in the Easter bunny, but I didn't know what else Easter was about. Then I found out it had to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he conquered sin, hell and the grave, going to the cross, dying for my sins, being raised from the dead. And I could have eternal life by trusting in him. In September of that year, I had turned 22. 
And I was working at the radio station one Saturday night in November, and a preacher had a half-hour broadcast from 4.30 to 5. And at the end of the broadcast, he said, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, you can do it right now, right where you're at. And so there at the radio station that night, I bowed my head and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Now you understand, I was not brought up in church. There's a lot, so much I didn't know. I didn't know what was next. I had absolutely no idea. I still called Job Job and Psalms Palms. And uh, I didn't know there were five different books written by John, four of which bear his name. I was just ignorant of so many things. But that week, the pastor of the church we'd been attending came out to the mobile home where my wife and I lived in Otsego, Michigan, just outside of Otsego, Michigan, north of Kalamazoo. And he came with the express purpose of winning me to Christ. He went through the plan of salvation, told me how to get saved. And I said, but pastor, I did that. I think he doubted it, but then uh, I, he asked me when, and I told him at the radio station, told him all about it. I said, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. He said, the next thing, you need to come forward at church and let people know you've been saved. And so that next Sunday, I went forward and to let people know that I had trusted Christ as my Savior. And then I said to the pastor, I said, now we need to pray for my wife that she'll get saved. After all, she was the hard case in the family. And so the pastor came out to the mobile home where we were living. And in the living room of our mobile home, he presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to my wife. She trusted Christ as Savior, and our lives changed dramatically. I started going to church not to play softball, but to learn more about my Savior. Two years later, God called me to preach. And I have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for the last 48 years. And thank God for the marvelous privilege that he's given me to know some of the sweetest and dearest people in all the world. And uh, when God called me to Madison, which I was already pastoring in Manchester before that, I'd pastored at Tennessee Ridge before that, I'd pastored some of Brother Tony's family, and I think Brother Tony's the one that recommended me here. And, um, and they, then the church ended up calling me to come be their pastor. And boy, it has been a tremendous blessing. I pastor some of the greatest people in the world. Now, having said all that, that's my way of introduction, not even in my notes, but that is my testimony of salvation. It doesn't make a difference if you're a church member, non-church member, or whatever. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you don't get born again, you can't get to heaven. It's as simple as that. Now, the passage that I'm reading this morning is beginning in verse 19. The Lord Jesus Christ tells a story. Notice he says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, 
Neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now I want to remind you this morning that that story was told by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There are an awful lot of people that want to say it doesn't mean what it says. But this is Jesus talking, and I would never be so bold or blasphemous as to call Jesus Christ a liar. I've heard people say that this is a parable, and yet you read nowhere in that story, and if you read the verses before and read the verses after the story, there is nowhere with regards to this story that Jesus ever called it a parable. And of all the parables that Jesus gave that he called parables, you will not find one of those parables where Jesus gave a proper name to any of the people in those parables. But here he names the beggar. That beggar was Lazarus. This is not Lazarus of Mary and Martha. This is a beggar by the name of Lazarus. Not only that, no one in the Bible spoke as much about hell as did Jesus Christ. Nobody. Nobody in the Bible spoke as graphically about hell as did Jesus Christ. Yes, he is love. Yes, he is mercy. He is all of that. He is holy and he is righteous. Jesus, though, never called this a parable. He's telling a true story about this place called hell. As a matter of fact, he even spoke more about hell than what he did about heaven. Now, that's interesting to check out the verses. I'm not going to give you an exposition of that passage today. I'm not going to do that. Hopefully, it will be a defense of why we do what we do here. And we do a lot of things. We have a Christian school. We do that. We do a number of good things for people in the community. We run buses. We've got a great number of bus kids that were picked up this morning. And we do this every week of the year. I've been picked up this morning. They're having junior church in different parts of the building. We have a Spanish ministry here where the last few Sundays we've run about 180. As a matter of fact... uh, Let's see, we got a wonderful Spanish congregation. Uh, is Brother Alberto Puente in here? Yeah, right there. Brother Alberto Puente pastored our Spanish for about 18 years, and now he's a missionary out of our church over in the country, his home country of Spain. And uh, the man who pastors our Spanish, Brother Gerardo Rodriguez, uh, Brother Jerry got saved here, and not only got saved here, but was trained here and is an excellent pastor doing a wonderful job. They meet on Sunday afternoons at 2 o'clock and then again Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Well, why on earth do we do all that? Because heaven is real and hell is real. And we have a command from the Savior to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see every one of those pictures that we have on the wall, those missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church, I would love for them to be here. We love those families. They, they're our people. They worshiped with us. Some of those people we saw saved here, and many of them we saw called to preach here at Madison Baptist Church. We would love to have them here. I often joke when I preach uh, in other parts of the country and say, I've got some people I'd like God called someplace else, but he never calls them. He always calls the very best people you have. And these are truly 
These are truly great people. We love them. But why do we send out missionaries like that? Why did we give over a million dollars last year just to missions? Because these are not all the missionaries we support. We support about another 80 missionary works around the world as well. Because what the church is supposed to be about is getting sinners saved so they'll not die and go to hell. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I got to thinking about this thing. And I thought, heaven and hell. Yeah, we are people who try to get others to go to heaven with us. And we're trying to keep people from dying and going to hell. I thought of seven things. Now, this is going to sound strange to you. But seven ways that heaven and hell are alike. He said, well, there's some big differences. There are. But let me give you seven ways that they're alike. And I'll do this rather quickly. First of all, both of them are everlasting. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In Revelation 14, 11, the scripture says, But the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now, I've really not met anybody that believed that heaven was only temporary, but heaven is eternal. That's why he gives us everlasting life. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Matter of fact, I remember seeing a T-shirt one day that the person had on the back of the T-shirt. It's not that life is so short. It is that eternity is so long. And that's true. Thank God for heaven, a place of no sorrow, no pain, no tears, no suffering. You see, that time's coming. Not going to have it here on this earth, but Jesus is coming back, and thank God for heaven. Uh, but think about this for a moment. That means the rich man that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 16, he didn't sleep last night. He's still in hell. He won't go to sleep tonight either. He's still in hell because hell is everlasting, and there is no escape. And those that have died and gone to heaven, guess what? They... They're in heaven for eternity. No pain, no suffering whatsoever. But you think about that rich man, and the reality is that rich man has been like that for 2,000 years, crying for a drop of water to cool his tongue, and it will never come. I didn't tell the story. Jesus told the story. And I believe Jesus. I believe exactly what he said. Let me give you a second thing where heaven and hell are alike. Everyone is a heartbeat away from one or the other. Everyone, as it is appointed unto man, wants to die after this, the judgment. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, God warns us. He says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In James chapter 4 and verse 14, he declares, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And then he gives the warning in Proverbs 29, 1, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You'll notice when the beggar died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. But when the rich man died, he opened up his eyes in hell. He's not been sleeping for the last 2,000 years. That's where he's been. That's where he stays. And I'll remind you that God says in his word, he's not willing that any should perish. 
The truth is, if a person dies and goes to hell, it's against the wishes of God. God will not make anybody go to heaven. He gives you a choice. All the invitations in the scripture, he gives you a choice. That's why Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus said that. Let me give you a third thing. Both heaven and hell are prepared places. In John chapter 14, Jesus began this on the night of before his crucifixion. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, listen to this, if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus didn't lie to people to make them feel good. He told them the truth. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. But hell is also a prepared place. Again, Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, he prepared hell for the devil and his angels. Because man sinned in the garden, the Bible says, Wherefore is my one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because of sin, God, in order to be able to save man, sacrificed his own son on the cross of Calvary to pay our sin debt, so that we would not go to hell we don't have to go to hell we can have heaven but not without Jesus Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me both are prepared places let me give you a fourth thing both places have people who are members of churches it's interesting in John chapter 3 Jesus is talking to a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus now we know some things about Pharisees we know that Pharisees believed in the God of the Bible We know that. We know that they were very, very religious. For instance, we know, according to a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, we know that they prayed five times a day. We know they gave tithes of all that they possessed. We know that they were so spiritual that they fasted even twice a week. And when Jesus said to that man, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus answered back, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he says this, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a man that prayed every day. He's talking to a man that tithed. He's talking to a man that would claim he believed the resurrection and he believed in the God of the Bible. He believed all that, but he was lost except ye be born again. You must be born again. Getting the message, I don't care who you are, what church you go to, matters not the denomination. If you don't get born again, you don't get to heaven. You must be born again. You say, but preacher, man, I was born to Baptist parents. I've been in a Baptist church all my life. And if you don't get born again, you'll die and go to hell. Because there's not a church on the planet that can save anybody. Jesus is the only one who saves. Peter was preaching in Acts 4.12. 
And he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let me give you a fifth thing where they're alike. There is separation with both. In the story that we heard, obviously there was separation in hell. That rich man was there and Abraham told him there's a great gulf fixed so that those that would come from you to us can't and those that would come from here to help you can't do it either. Uh, Listen, I've got family in hell. I was brought up in a family that didn't know Christ had nothing to do with God, that died without the Savior. And if I could, I'd be glad. I'd be glad to lead an expedition, try to get them out, but I can't. It's not possible. Not going to happen. Jesus did the only thing that could be done to keep them from going to hell, and that was he died on the cross to pay for their sins. But he doesn't make people accept him. That's their choice. I've run into people on visitation. I had one man. He came to the door. He was missing an arm. He said, listen, I fought in a war. And he showed up as the stub of his arm so that I wouldn't have to deal with this. I said, you're right, man. You didn't have to give that arm, though, to die and go to hell. Just stay like you were. That's all. He's not going to make you get saved. He's provided for you so you could be saved. And if you want to go to heaven when you die, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But think of the separation this man had, separation from loved ones. Did you notice whereas this rich man mentioned family that were still alive? He didn't want them coming to that place. He doesn't mention family that have already died. I've heard people say, well, I've I've got a loved one and she died and she didn't have Christ and I want to go and see her in hell. You won't. He didn't. Might hear the screams, but you won't see them in hell. It's a place of outer darkness. Darkness and suffering, crying. No, he's crying out, please send somebody back to tell my brethren so they don't come to this awful place of torment. That's our job. That's our job. Isn't it interesting that the man goes on to say, well, if Lazarus went back from the dead, they'd believe him. And Abraham answered, they have Moses and the prophets. They hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded of one rose from the dead. And someone today might be thinking, well, someone rose from the dead. I believe it. Someone has risen from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. That tomb is empty. And I've been there. It's still empty today. He is a risen Savior. What else do you need? The truth is, if you've got to have a sign in order to get saved, you'll just stay lost because no sign will be enough for you. You say, what about, what, what about the, the beggar? Well, guess what? He's separated from things too. He's separated from the woes of the world. Have you ever had somebody tell you, well, I believe hell is right here on this earth. Now, that is so ignorant. At least on this earth, you can get a drop of water. At least on this earth, you can take a pill and go to sleep for a while. And if you're just in excruciating torment, you can get some kind of medication that will at least knock you out for a while. There is none of that in hell. None of it. The reality is a person going through great torment on a hospital bed that's never been saved, when they die, they are not better off. That's only for the believer who dies in a place like that. When he goes to heaven, he's better off. But I want you to get this. For the child of God... Heaven is not something that's simply better than the worst of life. It's better than the best of life. And thank God he's coming back for us. 
Yes, the beggar, he is separated from the woes of this world, separated from sin, separated from everything. You know, we have a lot of controversy in this country, but the people in heaven, they don't pay any attention to it. And as I heard a lawyer say many, many years ago, a Christian lawyer, boy, now there's an oxymoron, but nevertheless, uh, the lawyer said, just think, folks, while we're down here wringing our hands, God is not up there wringing his. He's coming back. He's got it all under control. That leads us to the sixth thing. How many things did I say? Ten? Oh, you were paying attention. Seven things. Okay. I just wanted to find out. The truth is, both have people who were influenced by others to go where they went. The Bible says in Romans 14, 7, none of us live to himself. No man dieth to himself. In the story, this man knew he had five brothers. Now, if this man died and went to hell, what kind of testimony was he to his five brothers who were lost? You see, they don't know where he's at. He's in hell, and they're going to die. And he knows what his influence has done to his brethren. So he's crying for someone to go back and tell them, the truth is, you do influence other people either for good or bad. I've known Christians that have had bad testimonies. And I've heard people say, well, preacher, if that person's a, if that person's a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. Shame on them for their bad testimony. Shame on them for their bad testimony. One of the reasons we're to be a different people. We are a, we are a chosen generation. We're to be a holy people. is because people look at our testimony to see whether or not our Christianity seems real to them. You can have an influence to see people come to know Christ and end up in heaven and what joy that's going to be. When my dad was a young man, my grandpa worked the farm there outside of Sturgis, Michigan. I, I would spend most every weekend out at the farm, but long before I was ever even thought of, my dad was the 11th of 11 children. He went to a little country church up there just off Banker Street Road, just outside of Sturgis. And when he came home, sitting around the dinner table that, that evening, he started to tell my grandpa and grandma, Allison, and his brothers and sisters as well, some of the things he had heard in Sunday school. And my grandpa said to my dad, I'm not going to have any blankety-blank preachers in this house. Only thing, he didn't use the words blankety-blank. And he forbid my dad to go back. After I got saved in 1971, I witnessed to my dad several times. I wanted my dad to go to heaven when he died. But I guess what my grandpa said to him way back then still influenced his life, and he wanted nothing to do with it. I'm just simply saying people are influenced both ways. There are people here today that you were won to Christ by some Christian who came by and told you about Jesus, told you how to get saved. The truth is most people do not get saved in church. I got saved at a radio station. My wife got saved in the living room of our home. I've seen people saved in a great number of different places. But their influence, somebody tells them, gives them the gospel. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. That leads me to the seventh thing. They go to one or the other by choice. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. You have to make that choice. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, he says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it declares, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yeah, there are some ways in which heaven and hell are alike, but they are vastly different. Anybody who goes to heaven has to go the same way as everyone else. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. Say, well, I'll join the Baptist church. That won't save you. So I'll get baptized in the Baptist church. And that, that's not going to save you either. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As I preach this morning, there might be someone here. You say, preacher, well, according to what you said today in the verses that you quoted I'm not going to heaven, but, but I, I, I'm not going to come forward. I don't want to be a Baptist. Listen, listen. You can go to heaven without being a Baptist, but you can't go to heaven without Jesus. And I don't care what denomination you're with. You can't go to heaven without Jesus. You've got to have him as your Savior, and you receive him by faith. That's the message we're to take to the world. That's why these missionaries... That's why we gave so much to missions in 2022. It's why we still knock on doors. It's why we print thousands of dollars of tracks and tracks and we give them out because we want people to go to heaven. It's why we ran the buses this morning and we do every week because we want people to go to heaven. It's why we have our little radio station, our low power station. We want people to go to heaven because heaven and hell are both real. And they're already on the road to hell. The only way they can go to heaven is by taking Jesus Christ as their Savior. I love my grandpa. Man, we were close. Matter of fact, growing up, he was my buddy. Every weekend as a little boy, mom and dad would take me out to my grandma and grandpa's farm. I spent all my time out there with my grandpa. I love my grandpa. Now, you understand, I wasn't saved back then. Didn't know anything about God. But on July the 29th, 1959, my grandpa, who had emphysema, had smoked all of his life. He had won nothing to do with God. The doctor had come out to the house. That's back when doctors made house calls. And he told my dad that grandpa was very sick with emphysema. And uh, he he needed to go to the hospital. But my grandpa was stubborn. He refused to go. I went into home with my mom and my brother and my sister and later the next day that night about two o'clock in the morning my dad who was coughing couldn't get a breath my grandpa said to my dad Dewey I'll, I'll go to the hospital now and so my dad got on the phone back then there were no dials obviously there were no cell phones or anything like that you simply picked up the receiver and waited until Sarah came on from the Andy Griffith show And at 2 o'clock in the morning, she might come on quick and she might not even be awake. You never knew. 20 minutes later, 
The operator had not come on, and my grandpa went out into eternity without God. I love my grandpa. I still love my grandpa today. But he died without Christ. You see, there's a reason why we continue to do all we can to win the loss. I can't do anything for my grandpa, but I can do something for other people's grandpa. I can tell them how they can have Christ. Can't do anything for somebody else's brother, somebody else's sister, or somebody else's son or daughter. I can do something for them, but I can't do anything for those that have died without Christ. I can't do anything for my grandpa. This is, this is vitally important. Heaven and hell, they're both real places. They're both prepared places. Jesus tells us about them both. If you want to go to heaven, if you, if you don't have this matter settled yet about salvation, you come to Jesus today, he'll save you. I promise because he's already promised. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and how I beg you that you would speak to hearts. Lord, I hate it. I know sometimes in a message like this, I misspeak myself. Forgive me of that. But Lord God, I still pray that the message was very, very clear. Lord, you know every individual here. You know who has trusted Christ as their Savior and you know who hasn't. And I pray for those that are without Jesus that today they'd want to come to the Savior and have that free gift of eternal life. God, deal with hearts today. I know it's why Jesus went to the cross. Have your way in every life, I plead in Jesus' name.